0: Trauma-informed care is one of the biggest mental health trends. I think it's important to discuss how it is ultimately just an awareness-only campaign and doesn't really address the core issues of how trauma really impacts people.
1: Yeah, or why it's so prevalent now. now. That's a very good question.
0: One of the major aspects that's lacking of trauma-informed care is that ultimately take suicide hotlines, for example. A a huge reason why people end up calling suicide hotlines is trauma, but it's also finances and Uh, how much lack of finances causes some real trauma.
1: Yes, that's right. really an important neglected part of our field, that the social and economic pressures right. on people can be traumatic.
0: Yeah. And I remember talking to a, a suicide hotline volunteer. This is a while back. This is probably maybe a decade or so ago. But he said that he never thought his accounting job, because that's what he does for a living, would help people in terms of like him knowing some of the ins and outs of things like bank differences between like bankruptcy and reconsolidation and all. And he was just like, oh, yeah, it's really unfortunate that like they don't have bankruptcy and medical billing experts. It's routine on suicide hotlines because I get a lot of calls where people aren't Just, I'm so sad. I just can't deal with life anymore. It's very specific things. That's
1: important because if your lights are about to be turned out, your kids don't have anything to eat and they're picking you out on the streets. Those are the real life traumas that are not about past things that happened to you as a child. They're about the assaults of an economic system that doesn't care about you. It's traumatic. Yeah. And that is a problem in our field that we ignore the huge pressures on people and the anxieties they cause, the economic anxieties that are plaguing people. I live in New York City and our mayor is in bed with the real estate board of New York. And you can't get a one bedroom on average in this city for less than $4,000 a month. And So then with each raise of rent, which is not, it's not stopped. With each increase, people either move to a cheaper place or onto the street, which is why we have more than 100,000 homeless people. That's traumatic, having no home.
0: San Diego surpassed San Francisco in rent prices. (laughs) I don't know if this still stands, but at one point this year, I think it had the highest rent in all of the United States for a short while. But yeah, San Diego is very similar in the exorbitant rent prices. But one of the major things about trauma is also what is one of the discussions that you often see online is if everything is trauma, nothing is trauma. Are we expanding the use of the word so much that it loses all meaning? Or should the emphasis be on the fact that life, especially in our current state of things, is, is a general traumatic life for a lot of people?
1: Yes. And nobody has the cure for travel, it might be taxing billionaires rather than taking a medication for your psychology. It might be not making basic needs commodified, but regulating them as they do did in rationing during World War II or having price freezes as actually Nixon did in 1971 so that you can't not be able to afford fuel on rent. You know that the purview of the psychological establishment excises a huge dimension of life and trauma. And that we should address. I think that's really important, ECHOI.
0: Because one of the other key points that I often see in like a lot of online discussions is based on like that, like so many people focus on diagnosis like PTSD and that's a very relatively specific narrow diagnosis. I think, again, like sometimes in, in online discussions, there's a difference being talked about be, between a capital T trauma, which is say an experience in the school, that you're you are a survivor of a school shooting or a sexual assault versus the small T trauma, which is years of neglect by parents, for example. Uh, but no physical abuse, right? And again, it's become such a trend to talk about trauma and in in some ways, I think it is absolutely a vital topic to talk about. But on the other hand, it is the focus, again, is so narrowed as a solution. And I think part of that narrowing of the solution being like it's really kept within like the mental health treatment boundaries is ultimately because there is now also like a certain pessimism around diagnoses as this always permanent condition rather than a potential condition that can change over time?
1: I think that one of the big of abysses in our field is that we don't count the traumas that happen in daily life. That every person who's homeless is not homeless because they were neglected as a child necessarily. But is often homes because, look, the biggest employers in the United States are Walmart, the call centers, and fast food, and Amazon. They're all humiliating jobs. And then people have to come home and try to make a living on a bad wage. And all day long, they're monitored and beeped if they do something like put their elbows on the counter in McDonald's or sit back a moment from the assembly line at Amazon, that there are people are abusively treated on the job. It is only a direct assault. And that we really lack a whole dimension of trauma, which is getting worse and worse in the United States as we become more and more stratified between the wealthy and the poor, and we don't take care of our kids. I'll care. And I was terrified to learn that of the developed nation, the 30 developed nations and OECD nations, the average that they spend on toddlers' education is $14,000 a year. United States spends $500 a year. But the trauma of trying to find adequate childcare when you don't have the money is really traumatic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're facing a huge worker shortage in that sector too. So the issue is going to bound to get worse rather than better. But ultimately, In terms of trauma, the most important aspect of people having their basic survival needs met is so that they can focus on things like their physical and mental health. Yes, that's right. right. That without that component, like you can't really expect someone that's working two to three jobs and stressed out of their gourds to be able to make any headway in their mental health.
1: The way the phrase that you use worked out of their gourds, mental health is supposed to put you back in your gourd, but it can't if your life circumstances drive you
2: out. What does good therapy even look like in that situation? Is it just coping strategies or is it just, there's just no point because it's impossible?
0: A lot of people that are having to work two or three jobs often don't have the ability to even access therapy for the most part. Right. But
2: if they, even if they did, right. would it do anything? Or you'd be giving a person his coping strategies for dystopia, right?
0: Yeah. Mainly that would end up being the most likely outcome <clears throat> for, especially for somebody whose survival needs are precarious. Yeah, mm. um, would be mainly just coping strategies. In all honesty,
2: is it, if I, I, I guess you could make the argument that perhaps all therapy is just coping strategies.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But there is a coping strategy of we will get you through this moment now, and then there is a larger processing that could be done to really address some of your core issues, right? And if your survival skills are, you know, your ability to like financially and economically survive is constantly on the line, then therapy just ends up staying in the, what can we do here and now?
1: I think as a therapist, we can give more than just coping strategies because we can help people understand the way they may collude with the forces around them and destroying them, the things about them and their own adjustments that make failure more attractive. And we also can suggest to them social avenues where they can go out and express their dissatisfaction and try to unite those people and get the strength and the hope that they can change and that they can change the conditions of their oppression. And I think of how in the 1930s, there were vast marches of the unemployed and in New York City demanding jobs with decent wages. And each one of them, if they were alone, would feel hopeless. with the sense of power and possibility of being together and making demands that could be heard change the basic conditions of their lives. But we don't usually on the left, even or in therapy circles at all advise some kind of activism around what you hope to achieve, especially if you're unemployed and never lot to die. I've found that turns some people's lives around. And so I think it's another factor that's missing in the psychotherapeutic community, that joining with groups to address the material conditions that oppress you is a good idea, gives you a sense of empowerment and actually can lead to change. That's a missing dimension as well as the economic dimension that you brought up earlier. You call it going out of right. your gourd. You yeah. have to work so much. Literally, out of your gourd. Because you see that all over the street. in you know, I can't take a walk for more than three blocks without seeing someone screaming out of their mind or really in the streets because they've lost themselves to disintegration and despair. Because things are hard. that these are hard economic times for a lot of people. And a lot of the social supports have been withdrawn. And... Just as nationally, whatever problems we have, it's never brought out. It's off the chart that you would tax the billionaires who largely escape taxes through their elegant lawyers. People feel they're the criminal enterprise that's cheating them, but they don't have a movement in which to express it.
2: What does what does trauma informed care look like? In its best case scenario and its worst case scenario,
0: trauma informed care is, has become uh, a mental health link kind of advertising lingo rather than a real thing. Yeah. Because one of the major aspects of trauma informed care is to fully incorporate people's life experiences and use and address those ultimately. In, in your treatment, right, is basically what trauma-informed care is. Because a lot of times before, it used to be like, oh, that's not relevant to this, or that's not relevant to that, or this doesn't really, unless things had the first degree closeness to like the issues at hand, it was often discarded. So depending on your therapist and their focus. So trauma-informed care Basically, as a umbrella term in what it should be is that you incorporate all aspects of somebody's life experience and understanding what who they are and some of the issues that they're struggling with their life and that's what trauma informed care should be, but it's often not, and there's often like a huge class basis to to trauma informed care as well because a lot of times. If you work under nonprofits or environments where you mostly service people in economic need, right? They can say trauma-informed care all they want, but a lot of times the message is nobody's going to give you shit, so get over it as quickly as possible.
2: Um, Yeah.
0: yeah, Right? And so a lot of these services for the poor will be like, oh, we provide trauma-informed care. And it's like, our, again, what does that look like? Because it's going to look very differently to different sectors of people in the socioeconomic ladder. Yeah. For right. somebody whose survival needs are relatively well met, they've got a stable job, et cetera, it could be something like, oh, this person maybe needs Half time work for an extended amount of time or like a leave of absence. And they need more support in terms of leave, leaves of absence, paid leaves of absence, and things, and being able to maybe like shift their work from like full time to part time and not necessarily lose benefits. Right. Versus somebody that is much much more struggling at a socioeconomic level may be that they need something like housing and kind of wraparound care. Yes. But they need a lot more frequent and intensive in terms of they, they have case managers and they have a lot of physical medical issues that need to stabilize first, and because that's another thing too, is that your physical health has a huge impact on your mental health, and we've done such a disservice to people by separating and compartmentalizing those two aspects of health. This right? has been
1: suffering from compartmentalizing socioeconomic health from mental right? health.
0: We are like a specialist compartmentalist society. Yeah. In general, but the divide between those two has been like really unfortunate because one of, for example, if you are working with the unhoused, if you are working with the elderly and somebody has like a drastic change of behavior, you can't necessarily, if, especially if you know that they're diabetic, you can't necessarily run to mental health. You have to rule out blood sugar issues yes. because that has extreme sometimes. Yeah, impact on behavior, right? And a lot of people see that and immediately go, oh my God, does my father have schizophrenia? And it's no, it just could be that he's not doing well with this medication and, and needs more intervention in that area, right? Because one of the major complaints that I have heard from a lot of people, for example, that has gone through Drug rehab is they oftentimes people get told this message that like you should be lucky to be hired by an employer and you shouldn't complain about your working conditions. Because a huge aspect of like why people use is we in drug treatment, we focus so much on getting people to just stop using the drugs no matter what. Rather than like addressing the person and hey, like what's impacting you? What is your life like? How can we improve your life? The major difference between, say, your standard abstinence only treatment and like a harm reduction based treatment is that we focus on the person. And if we improve things that are impacting them negatively, then they're behavior generally just improves in along with that. right? Nice. Rather than having somebody showing up in front of somebody and labeling that they have a very specific problem that they need to resolve in a way you need them to resolve, is how we do drug, tr- drug treatment and why it often doesn't work. But a huge part of why people use is working conditions,
1: Yes, and also the least skilled jobs and the lowest paid jobs have the littlest flexibility in terms of they don't have mental health care benefits.
0: Right. They, they don't, don't have any kind of protections. You get sick and you don't show up and you get fired.
1: That's right. They don't have even they don't even have paid maternity or paternity leaves. You right. can take time off, but if you can't afford it, what are you gonna do? What are you going to do with your child in a society that doesn't pay your child care? And I think part of the distortion of the mental health field is that the people who can afford therapy are generally people who are better yeah. off, who have health insurance.
0: Or, or- have family yeah. that is willing to maybe help them pay for things. Right. And yeah, ultimately that is the sector that most therapy is geared towards addressing tends to be people whose main concerns are you know surviving the day to day
1: that's right they're people who want a better life but come from some kind of economic and social support and so then because even within the field even if you have Insurance on a job that covers mental health insurance, which of course many don't. You get there's a two tier system. I'm in an advanced hypnosis. Nobody takes insurance. It's such a hassle. You have to keep reporting on people and saying why you don't take drawings and writing reports. So most and there is no one in that whole seminar who accepts insurance.
0: I, I don't think insurance would necessarily pay for uh, hypnosis, except maybe. I can I can imagine them maybe paying it for something like smoking cessation.
1: But it also does for psychological things under the rubric of therapy. But who can afford that? The thing is that even within those people who are covered who have mental health insurance, the more experienced and wealthier, really. Therapists don't take insurance because it's a big hassle. And so right. people can't right. even need insurance. Can't get the best therapists with the most experience. They can't for the, the ones approved by the mental health plan you're on, who are paying a third of what they get in private practice. And yeah. who are less experienced and need some need coverage or who are less good. So people don't want to go. But it's right. a two tier system, even for those people lucky enough to have some protection, goes towards those people with enough discretionary income that they can afford to pay on a bucket. Is in English?
2: It's a good question. I don't know the answer. I have yet to go to therapy, but given that I now have quite an intense job, <laughs> I think I might. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, it could then pay for therapy or I could just find another job. <laughs> Didn't need uh, therapy beforehand. The
1: quality of life under that job that is so traumatic.
2: Yeah, this is, yeah. Is it traumatizing? I don't know. I think, again, this is maybe a tangent, but my feeling is that school creates the hierarchical blueprint and then people just go from school into the workplace. And the whole thing just kicks off again. The best case scenario is that you as an adult have some distance perspective. You realize that it's all just a clown show. And you can hold your your adult version of you, can hold the hand of the kid version of you that was small t traumatized by school, or capital T traumatized by school. And you can figure out how to navigate all this bullshit accompanying the kid version of you that went through it first time around. Um And in that way, the best case scenario is that it's a form of strength building or it's some sort of progress. Um, you get to go back to the scene and but do the sort of hero version of it, if that makes any sense.
1: It does uh, cover kids who don't go into schools where where there's aspirations for them to do well professionally. I mm-hmm. remember Joe Bajant is a wonderful author. His first book, Deer Hunting with Jesus, about moral people, was a bestseller. But in his second one, Rainbow Pine, he describes that school how biased they are the teachers against kids who are obviously poor and how his friend advises him just act stupid and get through it until you graduate. Mm-hmm. Those graduate from school, learning that they're failures. And that's traumatic in a different way.
2: I guess, coming back to the theme then of this trauma-informed care stuff, is there a sense that in American culture that everything is traumatizing? And is that getting blown out proportion? Or is it an accurate reading of the landscape that actually everyone's traumatized? But doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean like everyone's fragile, right? And that they need special right. protection. It just means that there's a lot of circumstances that are not conducive to a healthy life.
0: Ultimately, when you have an environment where housing is scarce, where decent paying jobs isn't the standard, isn't the rule. Because you're what we call minimum paid work, 40% hours of that a week should allow you to at least even if you don't live luxuriously live somewhat comfortably that should be the standard and it's not it's not but it should right and when when you have all these issues of resources scarce resources because this is basically austerity it's not just government austerity. It's like job austerity, right? That few jobs austerity. pay so a decent wage. And when you have that environment, people are forced to go into gray and black markets to make ends meet. Right. And yeah. to a certain degree, yeah, like a lot of times when people have often talked about how if they want to discuss any of these larger issues within a therapy context, they're often shut down. That's right. Again, it's also one of those things where being able to have like these somewhat lengthy conversations are limited when you are a cash patient paying out a fair chunk of money.
1: But what is it limited to? is another question. The whole system of charging for health care, mental as well as physical and the social injustice aspect included in our discussion and they're not. Now, it's considered extraneous, even in the 12-step, you're not supposed to bring up the social conditions that were conducive to your addiction.
2: Considered
0: a cop-out. Right. Jesus. Yeah,
2: that's mad, isn't it?
0: Very. That's part of, a huge part of why I'm not a fan. Yes. That's part of one aspect of why trauma-informed care, to a certain degree, is it's extremely narrow in what is considered like acceptable trauma. It follows some of a lot of the confused conversations around mental health in general. Because people say things like diagnosis or your trauma doesn't explain, doesn't excuse your behavior. And it's on one hand, it's true. But on the other hand, it's also, yeah, these things absolutely do inform people's behavior. A lot of depressed, a lot of my clients who have faced a lot of parental neglect Their parents love them, and that's not up for question. It's just that a depressed, overworked parent just isn't going to be able to pay attention.
1: Not the same way as somebody who has
0: the time and energy. Right, who has the time and energy and isn't severely clinically depressed, right? Because also there's a certain pessimism with a lot of diagnoses in the sense that it's just considered permanent identity that kind of people carry on for the rest of their lives. And on the other hand they like to they like to say oh this thing is permanent but then you can't let this permanent thing affect you in any way. That's yeah, inconvenient right. to other people.
1: Right. If you read Gabor Mate's book The Myth of Normal, the mental and physical have such overlap that it's really hard to say what's permanent.
0: Right. And I mean like mean- if, because people say borderline personality disorder is permanent. And I know quite a few people where they've really come really far in therapy to the point where it's just one person that I knew is, yeah, I don't, I don't even really have the rage trigger that I used to. Right. Right. Yeah. Like where she's, I don't, I'm at this point in my life where I don't have to consciously manage symptoms anymore. I no longer like split and say inexcusable things to people. I have developed much better access to less black and white thinking and a lot more nuanced kind of thinking in terms of other people. I have greatly addressed issues with fears of abandonment and such to the point where I I don't think I have borderline anymore. But if I say that, people tell me I'm wrong.
1: But Yamor Mate has testifies to all these people who change their lives and therefore change their both physical and psychological symptoms. And so that these also, it's another thing about our field. These lines, this is mental, as you pointed out earlier, Egoi. This is mental. This is physical. We are mind, but minds, and or and we're whole, one, physical. one part. <laughs> there is no two parts. <laughs> There's many parts too. There's a whole social part too, an economic part that we brought in today's discussion. So that we've compartmentalized and oversimplified our field, and therefore it doesn't serve as many people as it could and should.
0: Because one of the biggest aspects of the physical and mental divide in healthcare is that we tend to use the other as a excuse to dismiss caring for the patient mm-hmm. or the client, right? So if so, if somebody's really sick and they go to a doctor and they have a complicated health issue that maybe the doctor's just not capable or un- uninterested in dealing with, rather than being like, okay, we'll figure this out, they're just like, oh no, this is a mental health issue and you get punted over to mental health. That's right. right.
2: There was a tweet the other day you sent me a thing, Dr. Joseph Witt-Doring. I said his name wrong, but he said, Helping people with emotional problems is too painful for many healthcare professionals. Antidepressants help therapists and psychiatrists avoid the discomfort of having to talk to patients about terrible and inescapable life events which wear them down. Rather than making patients better, the meds frequently help the health professional have a less draining and more sanitized clinical visit. And that dude's throwing stones, right? He just he decided to wake up that day and just flip the chose bird at everyone. War. <laughs> he chose violence, so it's just an interesting perspective. Anyway, whichever way you look at it, but it is a kind of twist to the the usual way of thinking about this stuff. That is actually yes. for the for the healthcare professionals' benefit.
0: Ooh. It's ultimately you can't go to the doctor to find housing. So the best of the doctors, the best thing I can do is just tweak this. Right. But there's yes.
1: also other pressures because I know when I've worked with people for insurance, you have to justify to the insurance company why you're not medicating because it's a lot cheaper for them to pay right. for medication and ongoing therapy. And so it has right. to be just well,
0: That's a huge aspect of basically we don't have like doctors in our medical system is almost so somewhat an accessory because insurance companies determine your care, not doctors. Right.
1: That's right.
0: Like you don't get, as a patient, you don't get access and options to all the available care. You only get options and access to what your insurance will pay. I know people who actively are like, I should get therapy, but I'm not going to get therapy because having a mental health diagnosis impacts my career negatively
1: right it's a brand that is awful unless I can work on you and right
0: yeah now one aspect of what is failing in like the awareness only campaign around mental health and trauma and stigma is that it's doing nothing thing to actually address some of the issues if having a mental health diagnosis impacts your ability to work in certain fields is that really justified and should those things be changed that's
1: right and of course they should right she every everybody needs guidance we all could use a helping hand and Yet it becomes stigmatized as illness and therefore stigmatizes people in, in some jobs.
0: One aspect of why people are so pessimistic in seeing their diagnosis as this identity that they have to affirm publicly over and over again is it's a symptom rather than a cause. Right. And it's also a symptom of a lot of people are really, if, if you have mild depression and anxiety, it's one thing. But for a lot of people with more serious diagnoses, a lot of them are really pessimistic about their prospect and quote-unquote getting better. Mm-hmm. And if your prospect, if you feel like your prospects for like a cure, a quote-unquote cure, if not a cure, a really easy management, right, without a lot of downsides. That if that's not possible, then what you're going to do is to at least be seen as a human being.
1: Yeah, but a lot of, a lot of people pathologize themselves because, but necessarily, and they don't see the hope and transformation possible. Of course, transformation is possible.
0: I think transformation is possible, but one aspect that oftentimes a lot of that is really difficult in terms of if, you're, if you have a mental health issue or if you have a chronic physical health issue, is that improvement may not be to the level that you desire personally, and that doesn't mean that it's failed. Yeah, right. Modern medicine, sometimes with people feel that there is a cure for everything and that it's relatively straightforward to get care and treatment, And that's not necessarily the case, right? That if you have a lot of chronic illnesses, if you have a lot of mental health illness conditions, that it can be difficult to get straightforward care in a lot of ways. I have friends with bipolar and while they are grateful in many ways for the stabilizing impact of their medications. It also does come at the price of a lot of side effects.
1: The side effects can be traumatic. But right. there is not a recognition of what this takes, what it entails, how it touches all of us. It's just a basic studied ignorance of this whole area and its vulnerability and Really, I'm going okay. to have to go. Yeah,
2: we've hit the hour. Thank yeah. you
1: so much for introducing this topic, Ecoy. It was a productive topic.
2: Yeah.
0: If of course, you have a great week, Harriet. Two, and... And you
1: too, Liam, Mm -hmm. in your stressful job.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'll be all right. It's all good. Take care. See you later. Take care. Bye bye bye.